You know, in our temporal realm, often when something is broken, the value declines quite drastically. If not, it disappears altogether. For example, maybe if you have uh, broken dishes or if a mirror gets broken or a tool gets broken, uh, all those things, whatever that may be, when something breaks, typically in the temporal realm, that causes its value to decline. And many times, once something's broken, a dish, a, a mirror, usually that's when we would then toss something aside. It's broken now. Uh, its value has declined. It's disappeared altogether. It has no value anymore. If a piece of furniture or a piece of clothing gets cracked or torn, that's usually what reduces its value. However, here's what's interesting. In the spiritual realm, oftentimes things are completely different. In the spiritual realm, often things happen in a different way whereby our Lord Jesus actually has a unique ability to actually make things become more valuable as the result of breaking them. Our Lord Jesus has this incredible ability to allow things to become more valuable as the result of allowing them to go through a process and experience of brokenness. And I think this is what the Lord is communicating to us this morning. The fact that God would put special value on broken things and listen, even broken people. In fact, we read verses in the Bible that indicate the value, the premium that God puts on brokenness in a human life. Psalm 51, David said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you won't despise. In the 34th Psalm there we read, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. In other words, there's something magnetically attractive about the heart of a person that is broken that causes the Lord to draw very close in his presence and his person to people who are hurting and broken. And the Bible seems to indicate how God puts special value on broken things and brokenness even in our lives. One man said this, I quote, he said, There are few things in life that are improved by breaking, but the life of the sinner and the saint are among them. You know, truly, we have to realize this challenging but true spiritual principle that our lives actually become more valuable as we bear the marks of the brokenness even of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, which we just read together, we see a child of God. We see someone who's a committed servant of Jesus and being used by the Lord, referring to an aspect of brokenness in his own life. Paul describes this difficult but vital spiritual experience in part of his own life through which God allowed him to experience personal suffering and continuous and ongoing struggle in relation to something by which Jesus increased his spiritual experience and actually intensified his spiritual effectiveness. Now, just by way of backdrop, since we picked up there in verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 6, Paul is describing how he, in essence, let me just put it this way, had a sneak preview of coming attractions of heaven in the eternal realm. Let me just read to you the verses for sake of context. Paul says, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether Paul says in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows. 
Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, referring to the eternal heavens. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Again, Paul says God knows. But he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it's not lawful for a man to utter. He's saying the English language is not sufficient to even use words to describe the eternal realm and the experience and the abode of heaven which somehow Paul in this revelation got a sneak preview of he had this spiritual experience that God gave to him he says of such a one I will boast yet not I myself except in my infirmities for though I might desire to boast I will not dare to be a fool for I will speak the truth but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So here's what's happening. Paul, in defense of his credibility as an apostle with the Corinthians, is now sharing, if you would, and referring some of the incredible spiritual experiences. One he specifically references here as he comes to this point. And notice he's almost embarrassed to have to bring it up. Interesting. Paul indicates here, and keep this in mind, he's caught up somehow. He says, I don't know if it was in the body, if it was out of the body. I, I don't even know. And interesting, Paul didn't have to write a book about it either. In fact, for 14 years, he said, I didn't even tell anybody. I mean, Paul had an experience of being in the eternal realm, of seeing the, the glories of heaven in some way. And for 14 years, Paul didn't make a peep. This is the first time he's even talking about it to anybody. And he says here, I saw things that are just inexpressible, amazing and incredible. I mean, you want to talk about ruining somebody. You want to talk about an up and down experience. Imagining being caught up and then I almost wonder what it was like when he had to come back down. Like, no, you know, he's forced to come back down to earth. You want to talk about ruining somebody for life on this planet. But yet at the same time, no doubt what drove this man, because once he got a taste and he saw the reality of what was eternal and what was spiritual, boy, I tell you, I'm sure that revolutionized his perspective of how life was experienced on this planet. And I'll tell you, the more we get an, a, a reality and, and an awareness of what's eternal and what's heavenly, the wonderful thing is that'll really begin to ruin you for this earth. And that's not a bad thing. But Paul here is describing how he had this experience. And indeed, what an awesome blessing. What an incredible thing was bestowed in Paul's life. Yet, God loves to bless our lives. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that more abundantly. And God wants to bless us. Yet, lest we become deceived or misled spiritually and ever get out of balance, God loves us enough to also share with us some burdens, some struggles, some challenges in our lives as well to keep us healthy and even help us progress spiritually. That's what Paul's now going on to say. Verse 7, look at it with me. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, puffed up with pride, conceited, by the abundance of the revelations. Now, he just mentioned one. But when you read the book of Acts you see that Paul had visions and revelations continuously in his life, the things that God showed him. Lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh, he says, verse 7, was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest, he says again, I be exalted above measure. Notice verse 7 here. In the same verse, Paul indicates the existence of both incredible blessing in his life and at the same time coinciding some real burden and difficulty in his life. Why? To keep him balanced. 
to keep him balanced in his life. He mentions the abundance of revelation. Certainly you can call that great blessing, God revealing things to someone. But he also mentions in this verse a thorn in the flesh. That certainly would be a painful burden, something difficult that was there. And it just reminds me how God, God's like a master chemist. And he's like an incredible physician who can diagnose our lives. And then on top of that, he's a perfect or has at least a perfect pharmacy where he knows how to prescribe exactly what is right to treat and to help each and every one of us in our own personal condition. So in his love and wisdom, sometimes God knows how to prescribe exactly what is best for me to keep me spiritual healthy. Because listen, that's what's more important than anything else. God knows how to prescribe and couple together differing elements for the experiences in our lives for our benefit to keep us balanced and healthy so that the waters of our heart don't become polluted and stagnant as they can easily become. Before we moved here to New Jersey to plant this church, the house we were living in Pennsylvania when we were pastoring there, we had a pool that we inherited when we bought that house. Uh, The family loved it. I despised the thing because it meant more work. And if you've had a pool, you understand how it works. Not only do you have to vacuum that thing and, you know, this and that, but, but you also have to continuously manage a mixture of different chemicals to keep, like, the pH level balanced, right? And if you don't keep that pH level balanced in the pool by mingling together in a process the right balance of different chemicals continuously, if the pH gets out of balance, the water gets all messed up. And then it gets all gross and nasty and and cloudy. And and then people don't want to swim in it anymore. And it just creates more problems and heartache. In the same way with our lives and the waters of our own heart. Listen, the reality is, is God has to kind of mix differing elements continuously in our lives to help keep us balanced, to keep the spiritual pH, the moral spirit, uh, pH, the mental pH of our lives kind of balanced so that we don't get all out of whack. Because we naturally and easily do that. So therefore, the right mixture of blessing and burden is helpful for us because great blessing, wonderful as it is, if all we experienced was zippity-doo-dah and great blessing all of our lives, I tell you this, that would be detrimental to our character. We'd get really messed up. So therefore, God in his love for us, though he does bless us and do so many kind things, he allows and adds in measure some ongoing burdens. He allows trials at times, even allows tragedies at times. He allows difficulties and struggles and periodic storms to keep our lives balanced and beneficial in their environment, to create spiritual progress, to help maturity to happen. And I'll tell you why. Because God's primary concern in your life happy baby is that you don't act like that as an adult God's primary concern in your life is your spiritual progress God's primary concern is to get you more Christ like to cause you to get ready for heaven and for eternity and God loving us and knowing what eternity is and how short this life is works in ways and he uses all experiences in your life to that end That's why Paul's saying what he does here. Look what he says, verse 7. You see what he's saying? Lest, so that, he says, 
so lest I become exalted above measure, Paul says, so that I don't become conceited, proud, puffed up. And that would be very easy considering the revelations and the way God was using Paul. So I don't think of myself more highly than I should. He says, God wisely and lovingly permitted that a thorn in the flesh, he says here, would be given to me. Now, that word thorn, when you look at the term in the original language, is not what comes to mind when you hear the English word thorn. We think of like a little pointy rose bush thorn maybe ouch you know you might get in your finger or maybe a tiny splinter in the skin the term that paul uses there is a reference to the large tent spike that the bedouin people would use in that culture sometimes up to 18 inches long to drive into the ground to hold firm their tent as they would put them up as they would travel around so paul here is referring to this large spike the same type of spikes were used as forms of torture to impale people as these spikes would be driven into them to wound them or even put them to death in other words he's not referring to just a minor irritation here some petty annoyance he's referring to a major infliction of pain and suffering in his life Something that would be excruciatingly painful and difficult. And the thing he indicates is that was an ongoing, continuous struggle that wasn't just alleviated quickly. And note Paul's terminology there, verse 7. Look at the text with me. He says, this thorn in the flesh was given to me. It was given to me. In other words, he's saying this was deposited or placed into my life. That's his recognition there that God was sovereign. That God is sovereign and controls everything, even the distribution of painful and challenging times in our lives, that God himself made the decision to permit that painful thing in Paul's life. God made the sovereign decision in his love and wisdom to allow for this difficulty and suffering. And the presence of that particular struggle in Paul's life that he's referring to there was not an oversight by God. And sometimes our heart wants to deceive us to believe that when we go through a hardship or a real difficulty, there's almost a way where the devil wants to twist our mind and think, maybe God just got so busy, he, like he totally put my file aside and he just missed it for a while. That is not true. God is sovereign. God knows the very hairs of your head. He cares about every moment, every hour, every breath you breathe and everything that you go through. And even when the thermometer and the temperature begins to rise in your life, God's got his hand on the thermostat and he's in complete control with his wisdom and his love and is fully aware. And Paul realized God had specifically allowed and even was regulating this in his life as a part of his perfect plan as a part of his even great love. Now, what was this thorn in the flesh? Simple answer, we don't know. You can read commentators and theologians of what I am not who describe, well, it must be this or it has to be that. What we do know from the text is it's a reference because he's referring to the flesh in the physical sense. It's a reference to something that caused incredible physical pain for Paul. Something that was very difficult and problematic. Some speculate maybe it was an oriental eye disease that Paul had eyesight problems, possible. Some say it was a form of malaria that he had contracted in his travels. Some say maybe it was a migraine issue from some head trauma. And if you remember, I mean, 
Paul a few times took some shots to the head. The guy was stoned on more than one occasion, so it couldn't certainly be a reference to that. Some think it's a reference to the Judaizers who were the uh, false teachers that would just hound Paul and follow him from town to town and just cause constant problems and difficulty in his life. Here's the, the reality. I'm glad we don't know. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit left it vague and didn't further describe to us what it is because guess what? Then I can associate with the passage because if I knew it was just oriental eye disease, I would think that Jesus only tells people my grace is sufficient if you have oriental eye disease. Right? Or I guess his grace is only sufficient if you have migraines. But he allows it, the Spirit of God does, to be untold so that we can apply that reality to our lives personally and interject whatever the thorn is in your life, whatever the pain or the struggle or the ongoing difficulty is that you're under, that you can all receive the same grace from Jesus because the root issue is all of us will receive in this life and our journey in it some form in some measure of pain and suffering and difficulty at times it's that thing that maybe is painful or hurting you presently maybe because of something in your past that's still to this day something that happened to your past is still very painful and an ongoing struggle in your life maybe it's something you're going through right now that's very difficult that thing that pokes and irritates and bothers us constantly it's a chronic problem and hardship that just doesn't seem to go away or it's that thing that's causing you to undergo difficulty or suffering in your life that's causing you to strain and to have an ongoing struggle that's a back and forth battle in your life again maybe it's a health issue for some of you Maybe potentially it's a relationship problem, a marital difficulty or a relationship problem with someone else in a family or somebody else that's a friend or a relative. Maybe it's just an unpleasant trial or circumstance that you were kind of thrust into or maybe there's some goal that you've just never achieved. And the constant disappointment, continuously feeling disappointed like a failure. Maybe it's some person the Lord's allowed to be in your life who pokes you and irritates you and continuously causes pain and problems or maybe they're causing hurt and pain for you or maybe it's just the reality of your own continuous failures and the difficult struggle that can be the pain of our own mistakes it's whatever may be causing you that continuous turmoil without end and it continues to affect all of us we all can associate in some way interesting thing notice here Paul says as well in our verse there in verse 7 he calls it a thorn in the flesh, but then he then adds there a messenger of Satan to buffet me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, we don't know. Is that just another description of the thorn or is that a reference to how with the thorn you get the complimentary prize of a messenger of Satan? that then comes along and buffets you together with that and over the thorn. Interesting that word buffet that Paul uses there. It's a boxing term. It literally is a term that means to punch or to beat violently with the fist. So Paul here says, together with the thorn in the flesh, Satan was via thoughts maybe in his mind or things spoken through other people. He kept taking shots to beat me up in the process. It was like a stiff jab to the face or a right hook when I wasn't looking. He was constantly punching me in the gut and sending negative messages, even trying to just knock Paul out at times. He says Satan was just beating and buffeting me 
through thoughts in my mind and things that people would say that were vicious and hurtful. And can I just say this for all of us? Isn't it interesting, true, how when we deal with our thorn in the flesh, our struggle, our painful thing, our ongoing trial for a time, isn't it interesting how Satan always sends a messenger to beat us up in the process? Isn't it so true how when we're going through hard times and difficulty, then there's the voice of Satan tormenting us more and more in our ear continuously because Satan's Satan's agenda is always to do things like to cause doubt and to cause discouragement and to cause further despair and to make people disheartened and depressed in ways where ultimately they feel helpless and hopeless and beaten down. And he begins to whisper into our ears, if God really loved you, why would he allow this in your life? Thought he's supposed to be a good God. And you know that God has all power, so God could stop this at any moment. God created the heavens and the earth. If he really loved you, if he actually cared, see, I hear the voice of the devil too. I'm role playing. Why wouldn't he just change this? Why wouldn't he just fix the whole problem? He could do that, right? He has the power to do it. And Satan begins to bombard us with thoughts and feelings of doubt and depression and discouragement. And and there he is. And isn't that just what it's like? You know, it's like a stiff jab in the face. It's like punching you in the gut. You're already hurting. You're already dealing with something. Then on top of it, he comes and he just slams you right in the gut to just knock the wind out of you and and leave you feeling beaten down and beaten up because he doesn't want you to stay on your feet and keep walking with Jesus. So he does this. He buffets us. So Paul's describing this experience. We, no doubt, in some ways and to some measure can relate to all of this in our lives. So here's what I want to discuss with you in the remainder of our time together. A few practical and important reasons why the Lord may allow a thorn, a a difficulty, a painful thing to be in our lives. I want to draw a few things out from our text to point to you that may help in the process. First thing to take note of, and again, if you're a a note taker regarding why would the Lord allow something like this to remain, very simply, verse 7 makes it evident, number one, to protect us from pride. Bottom line, he may allow something difficult, painful, hard, an ongoing struggle, a continuous thing, and then on top of it, having to process with the pain or the struggle, Satan beating us up and sending messages into our minds and our ears. Paul says two times, you see it there, verse 7? Paul says, and lest I be exalted above measure. End of the verse again, lest I be exalted above measure. Two times Paul's admitting openly he knew that he was not immune to pride. In fact, it almost seems that he was aware that he was pretty prone to it. So he says, lest I become conceited, puffed up, think more of myself or want others to think more of me or begin to become arrogant in my attitude. He says, God allowed this in my life to protect me from an even more dangerous thing than a thorn in the flesh, which was my own human pride. And the tendency within me to get proud and puffed up. This was daily being used to keep Paul humble and broken before the Lord. Listen, pride is a potential pitfall for every person. It's often been said before, pride is the mother of all other sins. And I don't doubt that. And the worst part about pride is the fact that it quickly deceives a person to not even realize that they're proud. It's a very distorted thing. 
And pride can be a very destructive, dangerous thing. The writer of Proverbs tells us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the Lord did not want Paul to get puffed up because of his God-given ministry and authority, that increasing spiritual maturity. The Lord was revealing things to him. The Lord was using him. And it would have greatly hindered his walk if he became proud. If he began to allow pride to affect him, so therefore the Lord allowed this thing in his life, Paul says, he allowed it actually to pierce me and to break me and to make me remain a broken vessel in some sense to keep me in a safe and a healthy place. And look, in the same way, God has a special calling on your life. He loves you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he's working in you continually. He wants to mature you and develop you in Christ. And like Paul, he wants to use you. He wants to work in you and even through you. And often one of our biggest struggles and pitfalls is with the area of pride. Every one of us in this room, and pride can manifest itself in so many ways. You know, acting as if we're superior and we think, okay, that's, that's proud. And when a person kind of acts like they're haughty and superior. But listen, pride is such a distorted thing with multiple tentacles. You know, pride can manifest itself in wanting glory and admiration. It can manifest itself in abusing your authority in some way, in refusing help, and being a very self-sufficient and overly independent person. Pride can manifest itself in being uh, an area where we're not wanting to face or deal with something, pretending to be somebody that we're not among other people because we want to maintain an image or acceptance or gain an acceptance from someone else so we pretend we're something that we're not. Pride can manifest itself by a free of refusing to admit we're wrong or not being willing to change or being too, you know, in a sense, independent that we never want to rely upon other people. See, I know a lot about pride. Did you notice that? A lot of examples. I'm an expert in it. Can you tell? I say that for my sake so you don't feel as bad about yourself. But the Word of God is filled with messages that God what? hates pride that he opposes it the Bible just emphatically says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble I've said before from this pulpit I'll say it many times I always see that visually God opposes the proud he gives grace to the humble when I'm proud God's hand is on my forehead like this God says you can run as fast as you want and create a dirt cloud son go for it you know there we are and God goes And whenever we're proud, God doesn't just not assist us. God actually works in opposition. He says, opposes us. He works in opposition to us. But as soon as our heart becomes broken and humble, God gives grace to the humble. As soon as our heart becomes humble before the Lord, God's hand turns like this. And he says, now anything you need, the grace you need, all the, in fact, I'll even bless you because of your humility. I'll give you everything that you need. And and God's hand just turns right around. And thus God, knowing that detrimental thing of pride, sometimes he'll allow that thorn to prick and to poke and to be that thing that's a humbling process in us. And the result is it produces protection in us from the plague of pride. Listen again what the writer of Proverbs says. Proverbs 20, verse 30. It says, Blows that hurt cleanse away evil as do the stripes, the inner depths of the man. Lord, why would you allow me to be hurt like this? Well, I don't mean to be overly honest, but sometimes God says, because you need a little more humility in your life. And I'm going to use this to bring a little humility in your life. 
And so I may allow this or permit this or you know, oversee that this, because God says, for your benefit, I'm protecting you from the plague of pride that would be destructive in your life, that would make you miss so much of God's best. So first of all, it protects us from pride. Secondly, we see from verse 8 that this thorn permitted in someone's life, secondly, contributes to increasing spiritual passion and intimacy. It contributes to increasing spiritual passion and intimacy. Paul says, verse 8, concerning this thing in my life, Paul says, I pleaded, doesn't say prayed, pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, we know, we've talked about even from the Bible many times that Paul was a man of prayer, right? We, we said that many times before. But notice here that this experience and the pain of it actually propelled even Paul the apostle to pray even more. Paul says here, it prompted me to cry out to the Lord, to plead with intensity. That word plead means to implore or beg, to urge passionately, to cry out for someone to come near in desperation. So Paul's describing how not only did just his relationship with God cause him to communicate with the Lord, but he says, this experience in my life that I went through and I had to continue dealing with that wasn't going away, he says, it was actually something that made me humbly dependent upon the Lord in a way like I never was before. Probably on a much deeper and personal scale, his level of intimacy with Jesus was greatly increased through this. He says, three times... I pleaded with the Lord that it might depart from me, that it might go away. Again, notice, would you please, Paul, like Jesus, prayed about the same thing more than once, and it wasn't a lack of faith. You know, so, oh, you don't, if, you don't, if you have faith, you just pray one time and command it in Jesus' name. Thorn be on. Look, Jesus prayed three times in great distress. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But he brought the same thing before his Father in heaven. I'll take Jesus' model of prayer over prosperity preachers anytime. That Jesus continuously kept, he, he, he needed to process it in prayer. In his humanity, as it was weighing upon him, fully God, he, he, he just was processing it through in prayer. And Paul here, on three different occasions, or maybe even more than that, he says, there was a few times when I just went to the Lord because it was just too much. And I was saying, Lord, please, please, Lord, take this away. I just, I can't bear up under this anymore. Because why? Paul saw this as a hindrance in his life at first. Legitimately so, I can understand that. Paul was thinking, Lord, this is holding me back. Lord, this is, you know, it's making my, my, my missionary schedule and travels much more difficult. Lord, I have letters to write and places to preach and things to do. And Lord, I want to serve you in a great... And Lord, this is, this is hurting me and holding me back. It's a hindrance. So please, take it away. Get it out of my life. I'll be able to do more for you. It'll be better. And as he was processing this, he kept returning to the Lord with the same request again and again, talking to him, asking for deliverance. Either case, the bottom line is this. What you see is it brought a deeper level of intimacy in Paul's life with Jesus. It caused him to not just pray, just kind of casual Christian prayers. Oh, Lord, bless the food. Uh, bless the kids. Bless the church. Uh, instead, it was causing Paul in a deep, personal, intimate way to have communion with Jesus, to communicate with Jesus in a real personal way whereby his heart was fully engaged in his relationship with the Lord. He wasn't bored with his Christian life. 
You know, he's just sitting there, you know, well, just, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but this, this Christian thing is really boring. It's just boring. He was saying, no, it is my life existence. If I don't talk to Jesus, I can't make it through another day. If I don't depend upon Jesus, I can't take another step. And the passion and the intimacy that Jesus wants with us because he's a lovesick groom for a bride that he's in love with. It's, it's generated, it's developed even through these kind of things. Look, this is where the Lord wants us to be. Not in complacent Christianity, but in close intimacy with Jesus. And we all know, let's be very frank, that when things are smooth sailing and kind of easy and, and we're going through one of those times, those tend to be the times when there's little challenges that our spiritual life a lot of times tends to get the most lax. And we tend to just naturally get kind of lazy. We just drift along. We get kind of estranged from the Father. Unless something happens again that sort of stirs us up, sometimes we get out of touch with Jesus. And in those times when it's all easy, we can have the outward trappings of consecration. We go through all the motions, read a little Bible in the morning, go to our church service. But we can have the outward trappings of consecration, but there's no real communion going on with Jesus. There's no real deep, abiding, passionate intimacy with the Lord, but yet allow a little pain in my life. Woo-hoo. Allow a little difficulty, a little struggle in your life, and all of a sudden that ongoing struggle begins to weaken us, and suddenly we find ourselves praying with just sincere intensity. We find ourselves communicating with the Lord, not like routine Christian prayers, Lord, bless my day, thanks for the meal, but, but talking to the Lord, Lord, I need your help today. I, I, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to say in this circumstance. Lord, I just, I need you to, and all of a sudden there's an intimacy and there's a greater frequency because every time that thing pokes at you, it prompts you to go talk to the Lord again. And it prompts you to stay in continual prayer. I think it could be well said that often pain and problems in our fleshly experience produce a greater passion and a greater intimacy in our spiritual experience. And I think Paul demonstrates that by his description of his own experience. Now he goes on, verse 9, I think we see a third thing here, and that's this. That this thorn in the flesh or difficulty, thirdly, helps us discover the experience of Jesus' spiritual provision. It helps us discover the experience of Jesus' spiritual provision. Look what Paul says, verse 9. As I pleaded with the Lord, ultimately he got his answer. He heard Jesus say to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect. The idea is it becomes most well experienced in the midst, he says, of your weakness. So Paul now gets the answer to his prayer. He was crying, Lord, take this from me, take this from me, let it depart from my life. He thought it was hurting him and hindering him. Lord, this is holding me back. And now the Lord finally at some point answered Paul in a very personal, clear way where he heard somehow Jesus say to him, Paul, I love you, but the answer is no. And God can give three answers to prayer. He can say yes, he can say no, or sometimes he just says, wait, or not now. And here Paul ultimately, though Jesus loved him tremendously, heard no from Jesus, and I'm sure that was not what Paul wanted to hear. But it was what he needed to hear because it was the truth. And it was something that he needed to begin to learn, the deeper lessons of the kingdom of God and the beauty even of his own brokenness, because look at this with me, during the time of Paul's personal brokenness, that's where he says 
he heard a personal word from Jesus. It's when he was in the struggle, going through the difficulty and intensely praying and seeking the Lord, he says, it was in the midst of the personal brokenness in my life that I heard Jesus speak to me. I heard Jesus say something directly to me and Paul would say the value of that supersedes anything that I have to go through. To hear the voice of the Lord say something to you and to hear the counsel of the Lord and the comfort of the Lord I think oftentimes difficulty are the occasions that make us become most tender to hearing the voice of God for ourselves and that is such a treasured and valuable thing the first lesson Paul learned Jesus was trying to say to him is that Jesus can supply what we need to be sustained in our situations Jesus can supply what we need to be sustained. He says, Paul, look what he says to him. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Jesus was saying, Paul, I have a provision for you beyond what you can see. I have something to help you and I have a measure of my grace as the God of all grace that I can supply to you that can help you as you navigate and endure through this. And Paul, had you not experienced this, there would be measures of my grace that you would never come to understand. Paul, there are measures of my grace and who I am in the spiritual experience and relationship that if it were not for the storm or the pain or the struggle, you would never know these depths and measures of my grace that I want to show to you, that I want to reveal to you. And you're going to experience more of me and more of my resources in your life personally and see that I can supply to you what you need for whatever you go through. Often our greatest need, guys, in life is typically, though we don't realize it, not really more comfort. It's usually just more communion with Jesus. It's more experience of Jesus. And in order to come to a greater understanding of his ways and experiencing him, sometimes it's difficulty that helps us get there. I know I can say honestly for myself, some of the roughest times in my life have brought some of the most wonderful revelations from Jesus to me. Some of the most challenging times have allowed me to experience things from the Lord which I could have only known if I was in the struggle and in the storm. Remember when Jesus told the disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee and he was, you know, they're there and it says they're straining at the oars and the waves are crashing in and they legitimately, as fishermen, felt like they were going to sink and die. And it was in that they saw Jesus, what, come out to them. They saw him walking on water. Peter gets out of the boat, experiences a miracle of the power of Christ. He never would have if it's you. Tell me to come to you. He walks on the water. Another occasion in a storm, Jesus says to the storm, peace, be still. And the whole thing muzzles. And, and they look at them, and he's, Jesus, and they say, who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. In other words, they saw things about Jesus they would have never saw if they were dry on the seashore sunbathing. But in the midst of the storm, they saw things of the power of Christ and the love of Christ and the presence of Christ and they heard the voice of Christ saying things to them and experiencing measures of his grace that they never would have. I love what Jesus says to Paul. Paul, my grace is sufficient. The idea is, Paul, it's enough for you. It will be enough. It's adequate. My grace will be adequate. It will be all you need to walk through this. And rather than remove the load, Jesus sometimes can supply what we need by his grace that's sufficient to walk even with the load still on us. 
and to be able to walk through it. The other thing Paul is hearing as Jesus speaks to him is that what he saw as a hindrance in his life actually was a help. What he thought was a hindrance actually was a help. That's what Jesus means when he says, Paul, for my strength is made perfect. The idea there is it's experienced best. My strength is experienced best in your weakness, Jesus is saying. Again, he's saying to Paul, Paul, you're actually going to do better in in this life because of the challenge that you're going through. Paul's mind, he was thinking, this is horrible. This is a hindrance. It's going to hold me back. This is, this is, and, and Jesus is saying, Paul, Paul, you got it all wrong. You're actually going to do better because of this in your life. Because Paul, by nature, you tend to be very independent. Paul, by nature, you tend to draw strength from your own, pull up yourself by your bootstraps, and, and, and Paul, you got a lot of gusto. And, and you're a talented guy, and you have. That, but, but Paul, when you're weakened, all of a sudden you start drawing strength from me. Paul, when you're weakened, you come to me continuously. You rely upon me more regularly. When you're strong, you try and follow your own agenda, fix your own problems, solve your own difficulties, pursue your own plans. You get independent, but Paul, in your weakness, he says, in the midst of that, you're going to experience my power best in the midst of your personal weakness. Again, how often is that reality not true for our lives? Often what we may think is hurting us or hindering us or weakening us, we come to find out, sometimes in hindsight, that the Father in Heaven knew that is exactly what would be the best thing for us to actually help us spiritually, to progress us or to mature us or to make us more effective. That thing that's making you weak in your weakness may be the very thing that allows God to show His power in your life in a whole nother way. Jesus delights to show his power in human weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. Isaiah says that God gives power to the weak. He gives power to the weak. Here's the problem. A lot of times, most of us are too strong to experience the power of God. So sometimes God will allow us to be weak. And Paul, I want you to rely upon me. I want you to know my strength, not your strength. Paul, you already know your strength but I want you to know my strength. I want you to experience to the fullest my power, my strength. Jesus wanted Paul to come to a place of greater, here's the word, dependency upon him. To live in that place of dependency. Paul, that you'd know my grace, that you'd know my strength. It will be adequate to enable you to bear up under this and to keep going. He wants to bring us to that place of greater dependency upon him. Finally, notice what Paul says in the remainder of verse 9 and 10. He says, Therefore, in light of these things he discovered, most gladly, he says, I'll joyfully therefore boast in my infirmities. Sorry, Paul, I can't join you there yet. I'm not that spiritual. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Some commentaries say, I find contentment or delight in the fact of infirmities and in reproaches. Those are insults and mistreatment from people in needs, lack and deficiencies for for persecutions when I'm attacked for my faith in distresses. Well, that covers everything else under the sun. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the fourth thing Paul points out. That... Personal weakness is one of the very things that prepares a person for spiritual power. 
It's personal weakness that prepares a person for spiritual power. Paul says that, verse 9, these things, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul learned and was willing to accept, ultimately with humble appreciation, that the difficulties were helped creating a platform in his life and they were actually preparing him as a Christian and even as a servant of God to be more dependent upon Jesus and his own insufficiencies and his own weaknesses and being brought to a place in brokenness made him long desperately for an alternate source of power that he might learn not by might nor by power but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And Paul, like all of us, needed to learn about the power of Christ resting upon him. Paul realized he had to be first emptied of himself and weakened personally so that he could then be empowered by Jesus himself in his life. So he joyfully said, I came to a place where I began to submit in a sense of joyful contentment to even the pain and the problems. He says, verse 10, therefore I've learned to kind of gladly just accept my infirmities, the idea there is the same word as, as the prior word with Jesus, it's a reference to his weaknesses. He's saying, I've learned to actually gladly accept weaknesses in my life because it's in that that the power of Christ rests upon me and spiritual benefit comes forth and he learned the value of brokenness in God's economy. That in God's economy, Paul says, that has great value because then he says the power of Christ may rest upon me and he says, verse 10, for when I'm weak then I've discovered I'm strong. Then I'm weak, then I discover I'm strong. One translation says, since I know it's all for Christ's good, I'm quite content with my weaknesses and with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah, that's called a paradox. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. It sounds not true, but it really is. When I'm weak, I'm strong. How could that be possible? Because the truth is this. Spiritual life works this way. The weaker I am personally, the stronger I then become spiritually. The Bible speaks of how, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. See, here's the reality. The more my old man, the old Tony, the more my fleshly nature has been crucified and the weaker the old man is, the better. Because that then allows the risen Christ who dwells within me to then take over the throne and live out the power of his life through me. So as we are weakened, Christ becomes stronger in us. John put it this way, I must decrease, he must increase. Here's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, people don't need more of us. They need more of Jesus. My family doesn't need more of me. They need more of Jesus. The world doesn't need more of me. They need more of Jesus. The church doesn't need more of me and you. They need more of Jesus. And that decrease so that he might increase comes typically through times of personal brokenness and struggles as we are weakened. God deliberately engineered debilitating circumstances in Paul's life so he would become more dependent upon Jesus and come to know Jesus' strength and grace and that the power of Christ could rest upon him in a profound and much greater way. Hey, the same is often true in our lives. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Listen, may the voice of Jesus reassure you with a personal word. Perhaps Jesus would say to you, listen, I know it's hard, but my grace is going to be sufficient for you and my strength will be experienced in the midst of your weakness. Let's stand together.